This morning, uh, we're going to be finishing up uh, the study of chapter 8 in the book of Romans. Uh, Jimmy uh, has been challenging us to uh, look at the text with fresh eyes and to try to allow the Word uh, to come to us at this time and in this place and in a way that will have an effect on us in a powerful way. He's, uh, the first uh, section really talked about uh, Jimmy shared about the, the challenges between flesh and spirit and how that flesh uh, leads to death and the spirit leads to life. Second section really was focused on suffering versus glory and how as we go through suffering in this life, it allows us really to fully experience the glory that God has for us. The chapter one starts with a very emphatic statement. Therefore, now there is no condemnation. No condemnation. And Paul's going to book in this chapter with that same concept. So, fresh eyes, what does that mean? I, you know, Jimmy said, hey, get fresh eyes. I'm like, man, my eyes are getting old. I know some of you have some fresh eyes. You just had cataract surgery. You just had something from a physical perspective that uh, has improved. You may have got some new glasses to be able to look and see different. But this song we just sang, uh, when I was sitting uh, in service last week, Jimmy was talking about that, this came to my mind. And you know, that's really what fresh eyes is about. It's not about the physical eyes. It's about the eyes of your heart. And I hope when you sang this song that you challenged yourself and that you really were seeking that the eyes of your heart would be open. And I pray this morning that that's what will happen for you today. That the Spirit will come to your heart in a way to help this passage bring some freshness to you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I hope you sing it all afternoon. You know, it's one of those tunes that uh, kind of get into you as, you as you go along with it. Today we're going to look at this passage from a perspective that I hadn't looked at it before, and that was focusing on the questions. Seven questions in this last little section. <laughs> I mean, Paul uh, has used this technique in other places in his writing, but he wants us to really spend some time thinking about what the answer is as opposed to just telling us exactly what it is. And I think sometimes we need to question. We need to ponder those things to be able to fully understand. So let's jump into it. Question number one, what then shall we say in response to this? Now, when I read that question, I said, you know, this is a question you could put anywhere in the Bible, right? I mean, you know, you get some great truth, and then you get the question, well, what shall we say in response to this? To these things, what are we going to be able to do? Now, the good part about this is we can go back to what Jimmy finished up with last week, Verse 28, because these three verses 
are in context, the direct thing that he's responding to. And we know that in all things, God who works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So what then shall we say in response to this? If we believe that in all things God works for the good of those who loved him, what shall we say in response to this? What would be your response to what you just read? As you hear that with the eyes of your heart, what response do you have to that? You know, when you think about today this question, not only is it very applicable from the standpoint of Scripture, but it is also very applicable from the standpoint of life. There's a lot of things that you may be coming in contact with, things that you may hear, things that you may see, things that are going on around you. And this question would be is beneficial in those places as well. What then shall we say about these things? That question causes us to drive into the core of what is truth in our life and what is the foundation and basis by which we respond to the things that are going on and that we are faced with. What then shall we say about these things? You know, you look around today, there's a lot of strife going on in the world today. There's wars, there's conflicts, there's inflation, right? There's a lot of financial peace needed around for people today. Johnny, that's a little plug for your uh, uh, class later on. We, we need to know how to respond to the things that we see in this life. Morality. You know, I, I think some people have lost a grasp on what it means to be moral in this world today. What shall we say in response to these things? Truth. Does anybody know what truth is anymore? There's very few people in this world that have a good grasp on what truth is. Thy word is truth. We need to, to know how to respond. What shall we say in response to these things? Question one. I mean, you could spend a long time pondering that question and thinking about what for you as an individual, your response is going to be to these things. Because as we collectively decide what our individual response is, we begin to define the response of us as a family. As we share and talk about those things, it helps to connect us on a level that God desires. Now Paul starts with this question, and then question two comes right on the back end of it. Now, Bonnie will tell you I have a bad habit of this of answering a question with another question. 
Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, Paul, what are you doing? You, you give us a question, then you answer the question with another question. What then shall we say in response to these things? Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, Paul kind of is rhetorical in nature. I mean, does anybody think that the answer to this question is... Anything other than that God is the only one that is for us? That other people, he's going to build on that as he goes along. But if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, when you look for yourself in this life, how often do you feel that there are things against you? Things that you are banging your head against. Things that either in relationships, health concerns, as, as Rick shared with us this morning, uh, fears, doubts, those things that just gnaw at us so often. There's a lot of things that are coming against us. And Paul wants us to remind, be reminded that God is for us. Remember verse 28? All of this ties back to verse 28. We know that in all things God works together for good. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? Question three, he actually gives us, before uh, he gets to question three, he gives us a statement. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That is the gospel in a statement. That is the theme from Genesis 1 through the entire New Testament. God's purpose was to redeem his creation. And that redemption came through his son. And as we'll see as we go through, that the motivation for that was all centered in his love. So how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see that phrase coming over and over, all things, back in 28. As we know that in all things, God works together for good. Here he reminds us that God also, if he's given us his son, then why do we not think that all things will be given by the Father? He wants us to realize where our faith is centered, where our faith is connected. It's connected in the sacrifice and goodness of God. Question number four, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Now, if you remember right at the, the, the verses before this, he talked about, and those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. Those are the people that God has chosen. God has a plan from Genesis to redeem his people. And those that have been chosen are those that are now redeemed. Now, do you feel attacked for what you believe? Do you, do you feel that? Do you feel your beliefs being attacked in this day? 
So if the answer was no, you may want to think about what you're believing. You may need to think about whether you really believe. And the reason I bring that up is because we were promised to be persecuted for our beliefs. It was a promise that we would suffer because of what we believe. And so if you're not feeling that your beliefs are being attacked in some way, then think about what you're believing. Think about whether you have opened up your heart fully to what God is calling you to do. Uh, as we get later on in the passage, you'll see that there's a lot of things that are going to attack us and try to bring us down. God wants us to, to know that he is in control and that those who may try to bring charges against what you believe are not the ones that are in control. And in fact, he answers this question for us. It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. Let that set in a little bit. And the reason I want it to set in for you is I want you to think about where else you have been seeking justification. Where else have you been seeking approval? Where else have you been seeking to have affirmation in your life? Where else have you been seeking the security of your future? Because if it is not in God, you are going to be disappointed. Amen? I think we need to know that and believe that. Because if we are getting our eyes, especially the eyes of our hearts, focused on someone other than God, we are going to be disappointed. It is God who justifies. It is God who makes things right. Believe it and live it in the way that you go through. So, question number five. Who then is the one who condemns? Who then is the one that condemns? Now, when you look around the world today, there's a lot of people that have stepped into that role. There's a lot of people that have decided that they are going to determine what is right and what is wrong. They have decided that they are going to make those decisions. Some of you may be sitting in here this morning. It's very easy for us to get into a place where we believe that we have the level of righteousness by which we can determine all righteousness. And we need to be humble. We need to wake up and realize that it is guilt. I want to talk about guilt for just a little bit. Guilt is a heavy, heavy burden. Very heavy. And whenever you may condemn someone else, I want you to realize that you are piling on guilt 
to someone else. And that is not right. It is not godly, and it is not loving. I recommend that you get out of the condemning business. If you, if, if, if you are getting caught up in that, because if you do, you are a guilt provider to so many other people. Guilt is a heavy burden. Condemnation does not have any place in the body of Christ. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And so I, I pray that you'll ponder this question. And you will not step into the one who is condemning. Because that type of life is not Christ-like in being able to provide the freedom that Christ wants people to have. Paul answers this question very emphatically. It's a very short answer. No one. No one. Christ who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What God wants us to bring is not condemnation to people, but to bring Christ. Christ is the answer. Christ is what God wants us to talk about. And the more that we focus on that, the freer we will be from having to be judges, and the freer other people will be because we are not burdening them with guilt. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Open the eyes of your heart and see Christ and what he has done. So this is the question that is probably the question you were most familiar with in this series of seven. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, I have heard numerous sermons about this question. Lots of different uh, theologies. And so when Jimmy said, look at it with fresh eyes, this one was, was more difficult. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And so the thing that I, I've tried to think about and ponder a little bit was not the separation, but the love of Christ. You know, a lot of times the focus would be about the separation part in this verse. But the love of Christ, have you been able to feel and experience that love of Christ? We long for love, don't we? I mean, it starts at a very young age, right? The desire to be loved, the desire to be in a loving relationship. And a lot of times we end up finding Love. I mean, we have people in our church family that uh, have been married 
for a long, long, long time. My wife and I are coming up on 40 years. I mean, I've been married longer than I was single. It, you know, it, it's crazy to think about being able to find that. We have other examples uh, in our church family of people that have experienced that love. We also have people that have experienced that love and lost their partner. And if that love that we maybe have in a marriage relationship or with a friendship or with children or with even someone else in this church family, and that is the love that is the only fulfillment that we've experienced, then we've missed out. Because the love of Christ supersedes all those things. And until your heart eyes get open, you are missing out. You got to get it down from just the intellect and the head down to your soul and your spirit. Because when the love of Christ gets to your soul and spirit, all other things become new. Everything. Everything becomes new. You, you don't see the world. You don't see people. You don't see the challenges of this life in the same way because the love of Christ has gotten there. See, for some people, separation is kind of uh, misspoken because they never really got the connection, <laughs> right? If you don't have the connection, the separation don't make any difference. You got to be able to experience it. And so I pray this morning that the love of Christ will come into you even deeper and richer than it's been in the past. See, sometimes we touch it. We get a taste of it, right? We, we've had some experience that really connected us. And we think, boy, that was it. And it was. But there's more. Can, can, can you imagine that there'd be even more than the greatest experience that you've had so far? That's what Christ is, is, is desiring for you. That there is a hunger, there is a desire for the love of Christ that is different than you've ever had before. Even though what you had before was great. It can be better. And then when you get a question like this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? When you've experienced the love of Christ, you just laugh at that. Who can separate me from the love of Christ? There's nothing that can ever do that. In fact, the next question, Paul says, shall trouble or hardship? And he lists off these things, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword. Can either of those things separate you from the love of Christ? There's no way. It's so deep, it's so rich, it's so full. All of those things are nothing. But tomorrow morning, some of those things will be something. They will, won't they? I mean, it's just, you know, tomorrow morning, we're going to have things. The kids are going to, you know, get under our skin, irritate us a little bit. There's going to be someone at work that, um, you know, just every day, every Monday is just a bad day. And you got to be able to have an anchor that in spite of all of those difficulties and things that are going on, the love of Christ 
You've experienced it and you feel it and see it and your soul is connected to it so strongly that as those things try to separate you, it's not possible. That's the power of the love of Christ is when you have it in that depth of your life. So I don't know what's weighing on you this morning. I don't know what's holding you down. What's causing the spirit not to be able to get through the eyes of your heart. But if something is there that is really keeping the message from getting inside, I hope that you'll ask yourself questions about it. And that you will ponder about what it is that God is wanting for you to have. What is threatening your realization of the love of Christ in your life? What is trying to take it away from you? Paul provides a detailed answer to these two questions. He quotes from Psalms chapter 44, as it is written for your sake, we face death, death um, all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Psalms 44, if you haven't had a chance to read it, go read that. Um, the writer talks about, hey, we, you know, feeling like they were following God and doing the things, but they were getting defeated and losing, and they felt like this in verse 44, that we're just sheep to be slaughtered. But the last verse of Psalms 44, verse 26, the psalmist cries out, Rise up and help us, redeem us because of your unfailing love. Paul knew that you know, his listeners would know the end of that psalm. And know that it connects back to the love that is going on. Know in all these things. Now remember that theme of all these things all the way back up in verse 28. All things work together. This isn't a, you know, maybe just sometime, uh, every once in a while. This is an all thing kind of condition. There are no excuses when it comes to God and Christ and their love for us. Other people may have excuses. You may have excuses, but there are no excuses. It is all things. We are more than conquerors. Now, we could spend a long series just on that and exploring it as we go through, but I'm going to let the Spirit give you the message he wants today for that through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I thought I was going to think up something. Paul nipped that in the bud. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I had to ask myself, am I convinced? Am I convinced like Paul is? How does a convinced person live? How, how do they take this? Going back to the very first question, you know, what's our response? 
What do we say to these things? Am I convinced? I want to be convinced. <laughs> I try to be convinced. I know that there's times when I have doubts and I have fears about things. But I want to be brought back to this emphatic statement of faith. I want to know it. I want to understand it and believe it. So are you convinced? Ask yourself that question. Think about it. Because that is what God wants us to do. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Paul is reminding us what faith is about. Faith is about being convinced that God's love and Christ's love for us is for today and for eternity. And that we can put our confidence and our trust in that. Last Sunday, uh, as I was on the way to church, and I'd been reading this passage and thinking about it, um, there was a quote that came on the radio. It said, child of God, you cost Christ too much for him to forget you. Charles Spurgeon, he was a smart man. And he put it in very simple words for us. Sometimes we feel forgotten. Sometimes, you know, other people may forget, you know, difficulties, things that are going on. Um, but if we're a child of God, Christ gave his life for you. He's not ever going to forget you. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. And right, I'm going to give you three things to remember, take away from this. First one is we need to ask and ponder questions. Don't see that as being something wrong in your life, questioning God. Read the Psalms. There's a lot of questioning of God. You know, even uh, the one that he quoted in here. But, but be honest with yourself and with God and ask the questions that are important in being able to experience and understand what God wants you to do. It's the time when the Spirit can open up your eyes to your heart and to be able to ex experience that. And I promise you, the Lord, through His Word, and through his spirit will guide you. He will guide you. He will bring you to the place that he wants you to be. Bonnie this morning said, are you, are you ready? Do you know what you're going to say? I said, well, I know whatever I wrote down, the Lord's going to have some things he wants me to say I didn't write down. <laughs> and it's true, he did. There's things that I hadn't even thought about up until they came out of my mouth this morning. Because the Spirit guides us. He leads us when we submit ourselves to Him being able to do that. So we need to ask questions and, uh, and ponder them. Satan uses our doubts and our fears. 
And I promise you that it is not for good. The Lord may do all things to good for those that love him, but Satan uses those to draw us away. Satan wants to just, you know, take little small things and turn them into big things that turn into periods of disconnection from God. Living the flesh and not the spirit. God wants us to focus on the things that are in the spirit. Satan wants to take you captive. He wants to just put you in shackles again and keep you from being free. If you don't go away with anything else this morning, I want you to go away with this. The love of God is everlasting. Say it with me. The love of God is everlasting. One more time. The love of God is everlasting. Now this time I want you to say it like you believe it. The love of God is everlasting. Amen. I mean, that's what we need to be able to connect with, to experience the love of God. That's what this passage is about. And it's about bringing it and internalizing it into us to where we will be reminded no matter what comes. Because things are going to come. Satan is going to attack us. And we need to have this anchor that the love of God is everlasting. And that's when we will know that we are conquerors through Jesus Christ and that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. This morning, we're going to sing an invitation song. And it'll be an opportunity if, there's, if, if the Spirit has placed something on your heart this morning, let the Spirit move you in a way that causes your life to be drawn to Him. Don't, don't allow Satan to get in the way of those things that the Spirit is trying to do. I pray this message will bring you glory and strength in your life and in all things we can lift up Christ in the way we live. Let us stand and sing and pray, uh, uh, sing, and if you have a, a need, please come.